All right, if you have the Bible with you, you can open to Psalm 84. The text is also printed in the bulletin for you on the next page. Uh, just to give you a little context, a little instruction on how to listen to this psalm as we read it here in just a minute. Uh, the psalm <clears throat> is about the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And there are, uh, later in the Psalter, in Psalms 120 through uh, 134, there are the songs of ascents, uh, songs of going up when people are actually making their way up the hill during the pilgrimage. These are the songs that would be sung while going up to the great annual feasts. But this one, uh, Psalm 84, is more like an expression of longing to be able to do that. It's more of a reflection from maybe a distance. Uh, It's like longing to go on a vacation you've been planning for years, or it's longing um, to return home after an extended time away, or it's like the longing for the embrace of your lover, all combined and all amplified together, that longing to go to the place where God's presence dwells with his people. So this psalm was written, it says in a little title, that uh, it was written by the sons of Korah, and these were priests who served regularly in the temple, so it's not... <clears throat> Sorry, it's not necessarily that they were far away being kept from coming, though maybe maybe they found themselves at some point uh, unable to access the temple, but, <clears throat> but they're reflecting on the great privilege of coming to worship for, for all of us, because, um, uh, I mean, even in ancient Israel, most people didn't live right near the temple. Uh, they're expressing the profound appreciation of the temple. And uh, they're helping others who might feel distant or might really be distant, helping people like us to reflect on and give expression to the same things, what it feels like to be distant from the place where God's presence is really the ultimate characteristic of the reality among his people there. So the ESV Study Bible um, says that the purpose of singing this psalm is to cultivate the delight of worship, to open the eyes and hearts of God's people to the staggering privilege of being a welcome guest in God's own house and to write deep into their souls the conviction that wickedness offers no reward that can even remotely compare to the joy and pleasure of God's house. So that's what we should keep in mind as we read Psalm 84. These are the things we'll talk about uh, this morning. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we pray that now, um, as we hear your word and consider it together for a few minutes, um, that it would come alive to us, that by the power of your Spirit, uh, it would um, transform our, our minds, our thoughts, our affections, our hearts, that it would transform us from the inside out and make us the kind of people who really do um, long to be with you where your presence dwells among your people in visible and tangible and palpable ways. We pray that you would put that longing into our hearts through your spirit and as, as we consider your word together. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To the choir master, according to the Getith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, 
Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, wrote the book Life Together. It's one of my favorite books talking about the church and life together. Um, uh, There are a couple copies available on the book table. If you need one, if if I haven't given you one already or forced you to read it already, uh, you probably should read it. Um, But he says this. It is not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. Between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by a gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in visible fellowship with other Christians. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned... The sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. Visible fellowship is a blessing. It's actually easy for us to take that blessing for granted since we do, most of us here, regularly enjoy the privilege of living among other Christians. Not not even just coming to church on Sundays regularly, how that's uh, easy and sort of regular for us. But uh, even in our daily lives, a lot of us experience life together. And so it's easy for us to take that blessing for granted. It's it's a normal, almost everyday experience for most of us, even as it would have been for the sons of Korah, who wrote this psalm. The priests were regularly serving in the temple in Jerusalem together. So, So this psalm is a good reflection for us, because we need to remember not to take this blessing for granted. Uh, We need to meditate on the privilege of living among other Christians. We need to cultivate more and more the longing for the presence of God in our congregation and for the presence of God ultimately among all the saints in eternity. Um, So verse 1, how lovely, and that's how beloved, it's it's, um, love poetry language, is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, your dwelling place. So what is... Yahweh's dwelling place. What is it? Uh, One could say that it's in heaven, properly, right? Um, Even though heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain him, it's the place in his creation when it says uh, that he's created the heavens and the earth. Well, heaven is the place in his creation where his presence is entirely definitive of the experience, where you can see him. And, uh, And he... Being present among his people is entirely definitive of that experience. It's, it's, it's an experience of, of joy and love and peace because his presence is the most real thing about it. <clears throat> That's in heaven. But his dwelling place on earth 
his dwelling place on earth right now is here with us. It's the church, his people gathered around him, the congregation of those who trust in him. So originally, he dwelt with his people in the garden, and then it was a little later, it was in the pillar of uh, fire and a cloud of glory, a cloud of smoke in the wilderness, and then it was uh, in the tabernacle that his people build, and then it was in the temple in Jerusalem. These were the dwelling places of God with his people on earth. And then, then God came in flesh, and one could say, really, really dwelt among us, and really dwelt with us. It says in John, uh, the beginning of John's gospel in chapter 1, it says that he tabernacled among us. So that place in ancient Israel, that tent where uh, people were invited, the priests were invited, and the um, the representatives of God's people were invited to, to come and be in God's presence, that glorious presence. <clears throat> it says when Jesus came in the flesh that he tabernacled among us, God in the person of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Jesus is in himself the presence of God with humanity. And that's permanent. That's irreversible. That's never going to change. God is with us, and that's even Jesus' name, Emmanuel, God with us. <clears throat> God is with us in Jesus Christ fully and permanently. And now, right now, through our spiritual union with him, because he, he came to earth and he died and he was raised from the dead and he was uh, taken up in glory, ascended into heaven, <clears throat> and now our, uh, through the, the Holy Spirit who's been given to us, Pentecost, we remember that today uh, in the church calendar, uh, through our spiritual union with him, we corporately, as his church, are his Body. We're his body. We together are his body. We together are the temple, the place where God tabernacles, the place where God dwells and communes with humanity on the earth. We are that together. Not just you as an individual, but we together in our relationships in the church. We are the temple. So it's, uh, Paul says in a lot of places uh, in our New Testament reading, um, <clears throat> from Ephesians 2, but also here in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, he says, we are the temple of the living God. And that's language straight from our Psalm 84. We are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So the main thing that's important about the church is just that. The main feature is his presence. His presence is the thing that sets us apart, that makes this an interesting place to be at all, that makes this a beautiful place, a glorious place, a place that you should recommend that your friends check out. The only interesting feature about it is God's presence among his people here. <clears throat> the most remarkable thing <clears throat> about that is that he would want to dwell with us, that he made those promises throughout the history of his dealings with his people to be our God, and that we would be his people, that he would want to dwell with us, and what it would cost him, what it would cost him to make his dwelling among us. Those are the remarkable things about the church, is that we have a God who's present with us and who's willing to go to the greatest lengths to be present with us and to, and to dwell and abide with us. So, in verse 2, my soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. So just like your family home, uh, maybe you're thinking of a, 
the home you grew up, your, your childhood home, or your current home where your family resides. Just like your family home is beautiful, not just because of the architecture and the layout of the rooms and the decorations that you have set up, uh, but because of the people who live there and the relationships that exist there. In the same way, the temple courts are beautiful because God lives there with his people, because God dwells there. <clears throat> the church is beautiful. We can find a lot of reasons to say the church is not beautiful, but the church is beautiful because God is here and you can meet him here. You can hear his wondrous works here. You can be reconciled to him here. You can commune with him and eat and drink with him here. You can bring your gifts to him here and you can sing to him here. The church is a unique place for all of this in the earth because we are the temple filled with his glory, filled with his Holy Spirit. God dwells among us, again, not just individually, like as you pray, maybe in your own head, you pray silently or uh, you pray out loud or in your devotional time or whatever. God, God dwells among us, not just in those ways, but especially throughout all the scriptures, attention is called to this, especially in the way that we re- relate to one another in Christ. That's where you see God's dwelling place on earth, is in our relationships. As the Spirit inhabits our relationships in our worship together, in our service of one another, in our service of others together, in our forgiveness and our love for one another, that's where you see God dwelling among us. So do you long for that? Do you long for the presence of God in your fellowship, in the church, in our worship, in our forgiveness and love for one another? Do you feel this way about coming to church, that this is the, the greatest desire, yearning, longing of your heart to the point where you're almost ready to faint when you think about it? I mean, I guess you don't always feel that way. I mean, I don't always feel that way. Um, that uh, you might at least struggle with taking his blessings for granted or feeling like getting together with other Christians here is just so ordinary, so commonplace, so unremarkable that it, couldn't, it just doesn't really resonate with you whenever you think about the church that this is the place where God's glory dwells. Because it's just kind of ho-hum, right? Um, there is a sense in which it is quite ordinary. Just like sparrows and swallows are ordinary, commonplace, unremarkable. Really unremarkable. Uh, it says, even the sparrow finds a home. And the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. So you can imagine them. I mean, you just actually picture the, the original temple, Solomon's temple. If you can, get some kind of image of a great big building in your mind. It's like a holy place where God's glory meets with people. <clears throat> you can imagine these birds filling the corners and the crevices of the temple with their nesting materials and their young chirping to be fed as they're sort of flitting about the holiest of places, flying here and hopping on the ground there. It's a pretty regular picture. It's a very earthy, humble picture. It's perfectly appropriate. Perfectly appropriate. God has come to earth. God has become earthy himself. There's none more humble than our God. And when he took on human flesh... He's making a tremendous statement 
about the things that are ordinary, commonplace, earthy, humble. He welcomes all of it into his holy presence. It doesn't have to become not earthy and not humble and not ordinary to exist in his presence. Earthiness and holiness are not mutually exclusive, not at all. So just getting together at 10 a.m., 10.07, 10.10, on a Sunday morning, just doing that with half of us sneaking in late and bad guitar playing on my part and children squirming and squeaking, making noises, spreading their stuff out over all the seats, making a big old mess, minds distracted, bodies tired, and sometimes really too, too worn out to stand when we're singing together. Greeting one another with a handshake or a hug. Reading together, praying, singing, listening, eating and drinking together. In all its earthiness, this is the most holy place on earth. In its earthiness. So Karlbart says that the church service is the most important momentous and majestic thing which can possibly take place on earth. That's taking into full consideration all of its take-for-grantedness, all the commonplace earthiness. This is true. It's the most important, momentous, and majestic thing which can possibly take place on earth. It's true because God tells us that He's with us and He's dwelling in our midst. And He's here and He can be can be seen in the way that we relate to one another in Christ. Blessed or happy, in verse 4, are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. So the more that we come to know the fullness of the Holy Spirit among us, in all, even though those regular, earthy, humble interactions that we have with one another, the more we know the presence of God in His dwelling place is, is the defining feature of this fellowship, the fact that we get together at all, the fact that we greet one another at all, in the name of Christ, is because He's with us. The more we see the gathering of the church around Jesus Christ on the Lord's Day to be a real rest, something to look forward to, real renewal, and a celebration that, that we long for in God's presence, the more we see those things, then the happier we'll be with the idea of singing God's praise, whether we're talking about here in church on Sundays or with all the saints in eternity. I'm pretty sure all of us at some point or another have heard this, this idea of forever singing God's praise and imagining eternity doing that in heaven in God's presence and thinking at some point it's probably going to get kind of boring, right? The more you know God, the less boring it'll be. He's the one who, who unites disparate peoples, people who would never get together in the same room, with one another, let alone peacefully. He's the one who can bring enemies together in his household, by his grace. He's the one who makes an end to our war with him and with each other. He's the one who does that. And he's really been doing that for thousands of years with all kinds of people. And so we will sing his praise here as we gather together all these disparate peoples brought together by His grace, we will sing His praise here in anticipation of singing it forever. So, uh, verse 5, Blessed or happy 
are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So here's where the pilgrimage to the temple is actually sort of pictured. They're on their way, or, or at least they're imagining being on their way. It's in their heart that are the highways to Zion. They're longing to be with God. They're imagining that that's where I'm headed. That's my destiny, is to be with God and with his people forever. Um, the only way to get there, for them literally to get to the temple in Jerusalem, the only way to get there was by walking through the desert. There's no other way to get there than by walking through the desert. And the poetic language is, is used of making the desert new, making it an oasis of springs to describe how the anticipation of seeing God in his dwelling place refreshes us and it reinvigorates us, even in the hard, dry places of the world. These places aren't literally, every time the pilgrimage is being made and hundreds and and even thousands of people are coming to Jerusalem, it's not like springs of water are springing up in their footsteps, right? Um, It's that they're going through hard, dry places in the desert. But it's okay, it's even a delightful, refreshing thing because they're going to the house of God together. Now for us, it's a description of the pilgrimage of our whole lives. Our whole lives. Whether we're talking about sort of the days in between our gathered worship on Sundays, you know, Monday through Saturday, sort of the desert places, in a sense, or they can be, or overall, as we're on our way to God's visible presence in the heavenly temple. Um, The only way to get to the place where God's presence is definitive of the experience, where his reality is the ultimate defining reality of our relationships, the only way to get there uh, to the place where everything is right as we're gathered around him for fellowship is by going through the desert. It's by going through the wilderness. But God hasn't abandoned us even in the wilderness. It's not like we're not with God out there Monday through Saturday or in your wilderness, in your hard, dry places of life. It's not like God's not there. He's really here, but he's not really with you there. No, that's, that's not it. In fact, the deliberate, repeated pattern of Scripture, you see it over and over again, is that he comes out to meet us in the wilderness to escort us even to carry us into the place where all is right, the promised land, uh, the temple. So we trust that even if our path out there, that journey is, is hard and dry places, we're not alone. He's still with us. And we greatly anticipate the comfort and joy of entering the place where that becomes the easiest thing to believe because we can see him. The anticipation doesn't diminish as we draw nearer. It says they go from strength to strength. The anticipation grows and grows throughout our lives. It makes us stronger and stronger in our faith, increasing our ability to endure the hard, dry places of our pilgrimage. That's why the 
New Testament writers so often give thanks for the sufferings, the, the trials and tribulations that we have to endure because it builds endurance. It strengthens us. <clears throat> if the route to God's immediate presence is talked about as being in your heart, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, and if that route is in your heart, if you meditate on Jesus and consider his works and consider his ways and you follow him, you'll not only find refreshment and strength for yourself, those hard, dry places becoming refreshing places because of his presence, you will grant refreshment to others. You'll make the desert a place of springs for other people. If the Lord sustains you and strengthens you in the hard, dry places, he can make you a blessing to others who are in the same hard, dry places. And you will appear before God in Zion. That's a great statement of confidence. Your great prayer, your great longing, it will be answered. How do you know? Verses 8 and 9, O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. Don't Don't just look at me. Don't just listen to me when I'm praying. Look on the face of your anointed one, that king, that priest, that representative. Together we pray in the name of God's anointed one. That's that's what this is. It's a prayer in the name of the anointed one, Christ. That means anointed. He's the reason we can know that God looks favorably upon us. And he hears our prayers, even though they're coming from our lips. He hears them because he's looking at his anointed one in our place. So John 14, Jesus says, he's the way. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the only way to God. He's our route. He's our highway to the dwelling place of God. Because he himself is in God's presence. Because he is humanity present with God. Because of his life, death, resurrection, and glorification, because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit on your behalf, and because God looks upon his face as your representative, and he looks upon his face with favor, then you can know your prayers in his name are answered. So when you come to know the presence of this God in the person of Jesus Christ and in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to say, as in verse 10, a day, just one day, in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And I know that song just popped into your heads. <clears throat> um, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So it's like Moses, it's Hebrews 11, right? He could have remained in Pharaoh's own household. I mean, he was the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. Doesn't get much better than that <clears throat> in terms of the dwelling in the tents of wickedness. But it says that he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So as was said earlier, wickedness offers no reward that can even remotely compare to the joy and pleasure of God's house that lasts forever. For the Lord God, in verse 11, is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Literally, um, 
It's, he bestows grace and glory. Those, I don't know why they didn't translate it that way. It's kind of a normal way of translating those words. The Lord bestows grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Um, Paul picks up that theme in Romans 8. Where he says, God didn't withhold even his own son. He gave up the most precious thing. And if he didn't withhold his own son, but gave him up for us all for our salvation to welcome us into his home forever as his children, then, yeah, what are we worried about? He's no, good with, uh, no good thing is, is he going to withhold from us. Of course he's going to withhold no good thing from us and along with his son graciously give us all things. So it's like the sun burning forever in the sky, never diminished. The grace and glory he bestows upon us will never be exhausted. Never. You are most welcome to believe that. Because God sent his son into the world for that very purpose, to make his dwelling among us. And one day, you won't just believe it. One day you'll see it. And you'll see him. And you'll sing his praises forever. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh, Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. We pray that you'd help us to do that. We pray that you'd help us by your spirit to, to know this blessedness, this happiness that comes through faith in you, even to feel it, to feel that happiness, that spiritual delight especially as we walk through the hard, dry places of the world. We long for your presence, not just to escape the hard, dry places, not just to escape the sufferings of this life. We long for your presence because you are most lovely to us. We want to be in your house. We want to be in your courts where your presence is definitive of reality in the most glorious ways. So we pray that you would come and get us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.